Female artists do not get the same level of support. The female artists that I know of have reinvented themselves 20 times more than the male artists. There's a poor representation of all different types of women in music. Seek out strong women to align yourself with. We have to accept that there is a certain level of social responsibility that we do have for each other. And the sooner we recognise that, the sooner the music industry can change. Hi, and welcome to Control, the podcast with Chelsea Wilson, where we speak to wildly inspiring women in the music industry who have taken control of their music and control of their careers. And in this episode, we chat with one of Australia's music industry leaders, CEO and Chief Financial Officer of AIR, the Australian Independent Record Labels Association. I'm speaking to Maria Amato. Talking to us from her home during Melbourne lockdown, Maria shares with us her leadership philosophy, which is firmly rooted in empowering others and mentoring. Maria talks about her mentors and the people in her life that not only opened doors for her career, but planted seeds in her mind that she had the potential to do whatever she set her mind to. The encouragement she received from mentors has enabled her to fearlessly conquer her way through the finance world and move into senior leadership, where she now manages AIR. It's a full circle moment as we discuss AIR's current Women in Music mentorship program. Maria's hardworking, roll-up-your-sleeves attitude is refreshing. She radiates energy and confidence, and you get the impression that for Maria, no task or problem is impossible. So here it is. This is my chat with Maria Amato. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So great to chat to you. We are in the depths of Melbourne's very strict stage four lockdown. How are you going with social isolation? Well, believe it or not, I am a bit of an introvert. So being isolated is not really that hard for me to deal with. And I'm always connected with Zoom calls, telephone calls, emails and and everything but I do miss um not being able to have live events not being able to you know see my staff face to face go to the office but we've got to count our blessings so and uh look at opportunities in amongst all this craziness and keep positive that's not always easy but we have to force ourselves to always be great think of what we're grateful of and move forward and Keep the, keep the wheels turning. So excited to see the Air Women in Music Mentor Program announced. Congratulations on getting that initiative off the ground. Can you talk a little bit about that? Have you had a mentor that mentored you earlier on in your career? Do you still have a mentor? Really excited about this program. My first mentor happened to be my grade three teacher. I couldn't speak English when I went to school in grade prep. I got teased by children. I got bullied by children. I wasn't, I was a bit of a bright kid, but I struggled in the first year or so assimilating because my first language was Italian. But my grade three teacher, Mrs. Stoneham, uh, made me believe in myself and encouraged me to channel my energies and focus and told me I could be anything I wanted to be in life. Um, uh, and I believed her. And we're still in touch now, would you believe? She's such an awesome teacher. She's on Facebook. She's not only me, but all her other students. She's always got some sort of words of encouragement. She's even friends with my own son. That's how much of a great and rare, wonderful teacher she was. I also had some teachers in high school that were really encouraging. They um, trying to inspire me to go for scholarships, but um, coming from a very strict Italian um, 
background where my father believed that a woman's role should be in the home and not be educated and not go to university. That was a little tough, but they made also made me believe in myself, as were my first couple of employers. I mean, one gave me an opportunity at 16 to run his entire legal office. You know, who does that? You know, uh, allowed me to start. I'm just still surprised surprised that, that that he agreed when his bookkeeper left for me to say oh let me let me let me learn let me be the bookkeeper so he actually engaged uh, a senior bookkeeper to come and train me and I went to the Gordon and got my certificate in bookkeeping at the age of 16 and got to run his office and his accountant mentored me and trained me up on things I needed to know and then when I was 18, um, my employers there couldn't believe that I hadn't gone to university so they wrote to uh, Warnable Institute and got me into university as a mature age student. And back then I didn't actually attend a class. In fact, it was all by correspondence. So I had all these books. I was able to do my undergraduate degree. So I would call them a mentor and I'm still in touch with those three wonderful men. And um, I've had lots since then, you know, everyone I've worked with who's supported me, encouraged me, my friends. You can find them anyway, but I haven't had a formal one. I haven't engaged into a formal arrangement. That's why this program is so exciting because it can be a formal arrangement. There's always refinement and improvement that we can do. It's not just about work. It's about you as a person and continuous improvement, learning can be fun and exhilarating and empowering. So that's how I like to look at it and hopefully I can encourage other people to look at learning that way. Not necessarily everything you're going to learn at university you're going to apply in life. I mean, most times they teach you discipline and follow the rules, but to be truly entrepreneurial, sometimes you have to find new paths and think outside the box and use your initiative and creativity to put your passion into profit or, you know, to create some sort of financial future for yourself. So I think we're heading into dangerous territory where governments are wanting to dictate what is and what isn't a successful or a prudent um, uh, education to undertake or a career to have because it's not up to them. Anyone can turn anything into something that makes money if they're really passionate about it. And even, you know, you may not make the millions and the squillions, but when you're on your deathbed at the end of the day, you can look back and go, I had fun. I love that story that your teacher instilled that self-belief and self-confidence in you that you were able to say to your boss, hey, I should be your bookkeeper or I should do this. Let me. And he laughed. He laughed at me and I wasn't laughing. And he goes, how can I do that? You're 16. You know nothing. You've just come from year 10. That's all you've got. And I'm like, yeah, but I can learn and I will work hard and I'll do whatever it takes. And uh, and that's what happened. So, you know, very, very grateful. Could have easily said no. But it is something that I really, really wanted. And I know I'm not sure it's because I was told that my future was wife, not work, not have career, that that brought out the rebel in me that felt to say, no, I can do that and be me and have the career. It's not a gender thing. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I can't and maybe if I was allowed to go to uni from the outset I wonder if I would have had this hunger this thirst this drive to go for it you know sky's the limit why not have a go at whatever it is that I'd like to do Uh, and funnily enough I'm still an accountant after all those years because I really enjoyed it I found that bookkeeping and accounting is not just about tax returns or anything, it helps you make decisions, you know, and um, record everything and it's not a what-if kind of situation. And so where did the music come into it? Well, after I finished at Ultimate Computer when I was 
21, two. I then worked at Orica for a while and um, then I worked, Then I went overseas and had the big holidays you do when you're in your early 20s. And when I came back, I having that holiday made me take another courageous step and that was to start my own business. So I did that and one of my very first clients was in the music industry. Um, a lady called Michelle Taylor uh, gave me the opportunity to work for the Victorian Rock Foundation and at the time we were producing the Melbourne International Music Festival. Um, and that was so much fun, a lot of work, but I learned so much. And then from there, um, other people that I met along the way became my clients, you know, and I started a bookkeeping business. I had an office in St Kilda Road and some staff and and it just evolved from there. And then I was asked to run the Melbourne International Film Festival about 10, 11 years ago. So I did that for about five years. And then while I was doing that, I was the CFO for AIR. And then when the um, previous CEO left, the board of AIR asked me if I'd like to do some juggling and do that as well. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm having a great time. I still bring that accounting element in and we've airs built on the smell of an oily rag, but I'm really pleased I've been able to secure some partnerships with South Australian government, with the federal government, with uh, key sponsors that have helped us deliver events. Otherwise, without that, we probably wouldn't, you know, be able to do any of these things. And always trying to deliver win-win outcomes because it's you don't just get money for nothing. You've got to deliver. So, yeah, I really enjoy that part of it. I've got a great team. Kelly and Monica are fabulous. Sponsors have been great. The board's wonderful. So, yeah, and hopefully the members are enjoying being part of AIR. I love music, I love film, love arts, like any kind of creativity. But more importantly, it doesn't really matter to me what, uh, for the clients that I chose, what they're doing. I just wanted them to love it. If they were only interested in being in business to make money, I'd find a reason not to take them on as clients because that's just too, it, it doesn't really connect with me. I need to say that someone's solving a problem or creating something that they love and that gives me joy to be part of it. But leadership was a journey that, um, well, I had in my first job as a 16, believe it or not, I had I was managing two people, had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was probably the world's worst boss. But um, it was fun and I learnt lots. And then in the second job, they um, made sure that I got some training. They sent me on courses. So I'm very blessed and lucky to have done that. And then, of course, when you run your own business, you're having to learn to do that. But I also went back to uni in 2010 and I uh, did a forensic accounting degree and that uh, changed my direction from being a bookkeeper, having a bookkeeping firm to consulting my services on a senior level to go into businesses and help them streamline, help them improve their efficiency. And um, then I, you know, got on boards and did the company director's course and I've always been interested in, in leadership as well. Whether or not people view me as a great one is not the point. The point is that what leaders are doing, should be doing is empowering others to believe themselves to be capable of doing whatever they want to do and together solve problems. Because every day when we wake up, we're solving problems. We're creating new things. You just got to enjoy it. Otherwise, it would be a bit dull, I think. So how do you go about trying to motivate and get the most out of your team, especially in this time? It's very difficult working from home. And- yeah, it is. it is. Well, you got to lead by example. So if I look like the world's crashed on my shoulders, I can't expect them to be, you know, excited about the day. So 
And no matter what, it's like can-do attitude, we will find a way around the mountain, yes, this is a hurdle, yes, this is a, you know, hiccup, yes, this is a challenge, but what are the opportunities, how do we solve them? I'm not a slacker, like I put in the hard yards too. So if they see that, maybe that, you know, they feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm asking them to do as well. The recording industry has had so many challenges over the last few decades with moving to streaming with CD sales pretty much diminishing. Does anyone buy them? Um, What's your advice now for independent labels and artists? You know, is this a good time to still be releasing music or should people wait until the pandemic's over? No, it shouldn't wait. You should release, um, but you need to build your customer base or your fan base, but an engaged one. You can't just have people tick a box and they like you. They You need to really use this time perhaps to connect with them on a deeper level. If you've got a following, perhaps you let them know that you've got an upcoming record coming out and see if there's anyone that wants a special limited edition pre-order so that you're not out of pocket yourself. Other kinds of engagement that you can think of that um, will, will let them know that you haven't gone to sleep, that you're still there, you're still producing, you can give them snippets, engage on social media. You've probably seen some of the artists doing that. They're not actually talking about music, but they're just connecting with their fan base, having a chat, building a relationship, a closer relationship with their fans. The main focus, I suppose, at the moment is as a songwriter, I would imagine that you must write for you. It's something you do for your soul as well as your livelihood. So. I'm imagining that some great work can come out of this period because there's new challenges that everyone's been facing. There's um, dark days and they would make good songs, you know, and spoken straight from the heart too. Keep creating a library of stuff and then every artist will know when it's right for them to release it. It has also been interesting, the increase in vinyl over the last few years. I heard recently also that Spotify's had a dip in spins during the pandemic, but vinyl seems to be still on the rise. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with music. Well, that, that's interesting because we're online 24-7. Wouldn't it be nice to just sit at home, put the record player on, throw a disc on while you're cooking or cleaning the house, you know, whatever it is, having a drink or, and just having that in the background, physically in the background. It's kind of like being hugged rather than... Um, the uh you know the digital because we're all on digital now it's not you have no separation from digital otherwise our work's digital conversations with people digital like now <laughs> and then also people like we're looking at the cover i know i do i like reading the the cover you know who wrote this who did this yeah all of that you know looking at the artwork so there's it's another it's another opportunity i think and uh, it'd be a shame if that's lost but i think Vinyl is expensive, so before you go lashing into releasing music on vinyl, you really need to know that your fans are going to buy it or are interested in it. So it's if you've got that direct relationship with your fans, you can ask them, hey, who would, who would love the best of or the new album on? Let me know. We can do a limited edition. But if you're self-releasing and you're thinking about it, that's the advice I'd recommend. From past um, Air Awards and IndieCon, look, you ask someone why they like being independent as opposed to being signed and given a huge advance. Sometimes that's a double-edged sword by giving a huge advance for a label because it's not you, you don't have complete freedom. You're dictated to, you have certain expectations to deliver, a time frame to deliver in. 
They might have a promo tour that schedule. They may not agree with you. They may not like, you know, they may dictate a lot of things about you and your performance and your delivery and that you may not like. Whereas as an independent, that's that creative control is all yours and that might be worth more to you than the fame and a perceived success. There might be greater success for you. Your definition of success may not be defined just by fame and money. It might be defined by I'm successful if I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want, and have no one tell me what that is. That, to me, is my definition of success, but it also might be what the independent sector views as success, you know, and then partnering with who you choose to partner with, collaborating with who you choose to collaborate with. And we've even found, like Kylie, you know, for all her years of being signed to big things, released her last album as an independent. So that's that tells you something, doesn't it? And look, the discovery of A&R is like you can push your music up, but I think there's nothing more exciting than if a label discovers you. Can you tell me what the best and worst parts are of your role? Well, quite frankly, I didn't really want to have all these challenges this year, but I actually love them. I actually do like the challenge. I'm a bit hyperventilating because I've got an event in four weeks. I'm hoping it all goes well. But, hey, then when I have those moments, I tell myself I can only do my best. I've got my to-do list. I can hit it off. I can put in 10 hours a day and chop, 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 and I can only do my best, right? That's it. Have a contingency plan if something screws up and keep going, you know, and and never, and as long as I know I've done my best, I can't beat myself up, you know, move on to the next thing. And, you know, there's, if things don't always go 100% to plan, you learn from them and you improve next time. So that's how I choose to look at it because what are you going to do? Dig a hole and throw yourself in? No, this is, you know, not the, not the way it is. You can only do your best. But sitting around isn't the answer either. You need to be actually working towards having a plan and going for it. And what do you think the best parts are of your role? What do you enjoy the most? I, I really, I mean, I, I actually love the days when I sit and do the books. Like I, this room connects me to my very first days on the job because I am the CFO for AIR as well. I love that. I love negotiating with sponsors. I love working on events, uh, you know, working on policies and absolutely everything about my job. I can't fault it. In fact, in my entire life, there was only ever one job that I didn't enjoy. And I can't even say I hated it. I just didn't enjoy it because I was the first female accountant, uh, assistant accountant actually, but uh, the other five ladies in the department were secretaries or admin staff. And on my very first day there, I said, okay, where are we going for lunch? And they said, oh, us men go and have lunch in the cafeteria. You ladies uh, have a little room upstairs in the ladies' room. And I said, I'm sorry, I've never eaten in the toilet in my entire life. I'm not about to start today. And I went and joined the men in the cafeteria and I swear they looked at me like I had three heads and five, you know, five ankles or something. It was just a very uncomfortable situation, but I was just like, wow, wow, is this still happening? Like it was like a scene from Mad Men. But I still enjoyed the job. Like because I was a cost accountant and I was given and I was an assistant accountant, I was still studying at the time and they'd given me this opportunity, but I just didn't like that part of it. I didn't like the part that I was white collar and I couldn't talk to blue collar. And But anyway, I still enjoyed the job. It was just a bit rigid, like I had to have my breaks at 10. You know, I've never had a break. I just keep going. I stopped to eat and that's it. 
you know, had the pencil removed, you have to have your compulsory 10-minute break. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm just what I don't think I was bred for large corporate conglomerates. I'm more suited to small to medium-sized businesses, but that's just a personal preference. And what do you think your biggest successes are through your career, like the big wins? And did you celebrate them or were you just like, right, that's done, on to the next thing? Yes. Well, you work so hard to achieve a goal and then this might sound strange, there's an anticlimax after you've you've hit that high, you know, and you sort of regroup, go away and you go, okay, now what? What's next? You know what I mean? Because I'm a forensic accountant, main main uh, successes is turning businesses around that are in trouble. Uh, MIF was one when I started. Air was one. Uh, so that that to me is personal extra joy, so to speak. You know, because it'd be a shame to see these wonderful entities or you know ideas get lost. And not that one person does it alone, but if the numbers are infected, it's due to other things other than good money management, you know, culture, leadership, all sorts of things. So I've loved that. I've loved this. Uh, I've loved having, I've loved my own business, all the clients that I had, things I've even, you know, fond, fond memories of my first jobs. Really lucky, really blessed to have great men believing in me and giving me opportunities. I mean. But you worked very hard to get those. I did, but still. I was, there are people that work hard their whole life and they don't have, recognise effort and reward it and encourage it. I was getting promoted every six months at Ultimate. I was being moved into another area of the accounting division and they, you know, sent me to university. I mean, that's a debt I'll never pay. Like if it wasn't for them, I probably would never have gone. I would have stuck to the upbringing and thought, oh, hey, where's the next husband, you know? Um <laughs> And just stay home and expect him to bring home the bacon. It's just I can't believe that that's the mindset. And um, But, yeah, that's what it was back then. Has that been a real inspiration for you to set up the mentoring program and those kind of initiatives? Yeah, I can't take the credit for coming up with your ideas. Um, other people have done mentoring in Australia and great jobs at it. Other people, have, uh, Bonnie from the VMDO was the brainchild of the Fast Track Fellowship. Uh Honoured to be part of it, so same with together with the AAM. Um, hopefully, we can do that again when travel and opportunities uh, resume. Um, but even you know, connecting labels to opportunities that our global partners uh, bring, discounted tickets to trade fairs in the days when we could travel. It really does feel like another lifetime ago, but it was only last year. This year is a completely different ball game. Um, and I'm hoping that after a vaccine is uh, discovered that the world can return to what we used to call normal, you know, in the next year or so. Are there any changes that you hope to see in the music industry? I strive to continuously improve. It can only build on, on an already great thing. Well, I'm, I'm really proud of the independent sector. I love it. I think that they should really be proud of themselves, doing it tough without, with limited resources and look at the success that they've achieved and we'll be celebrating that at the Air Awards. Um, but everyone, no matter what industry you're in, no matter in your life, working towards continuously improving as a person, as an entity, can only bring rewards. So many people say they struggle with time, time to do their creative projects, time with family, time to look after their health and, you know, so many things. You have such a massive role and a dual role. How do you find time to do all the things you do? 
Well, I don't have a magic formula and my to-do list is quite long. I haven't crossed everything off it. But <laughs> you just have to be vigilant with the schedule, you know. Um, I, yeah, get up early, start my day early, but by six, you know, after I've done 10 hours, I get on with dinner and other aspects of, you know, work-life balance. But I'm, I'm lucky, I suppose, my son's 18. He's no longer a toddler, was juggling the single mum thing when he since he's four uh, and a half. So that was a bit tougher for me in those days and then having to drive in, be the CEO of MIF, attend all these nighttime things, worry about a babysitter, make sure I get to the childcare on time to pick him up before they close. Can't tell you the number of times I was late and they looked at me like I was the worst mother in the world because, hey, it's 6.05 or 6.15 and you are late again. Um but, yeah, and then taking the time, like when he was younger, to make sure we have the annual holiday, that connect with him, make sure he's good. Dinner time is our time. The talk maybe not so much now because he's an adult, but, you know, trying to fit all that in and just making sure that 80% of my day I got to do everything I set out to do in that day. There's some days that didn't even happen at all, but the trick is don't beat yourself up. You can only do your best, right? And sometimes you just need to have a cry and go, I'm overwhelmed and this is hard and stuff, but... Even then, I've given myself limits, like unless it was really major life events that you, you know, take, you need help to get over. If it's just something like being overwhelmed, you give yourself, you know, the day to feel shit about it and then the next day force yourself to go, right, today's a new day, what are we doing different? Well, you know, move on to the next thing because otherwise you'll just carry it over and you should sweat about the big things, not the small ones. Like you didn't make your bed, my floor is not swept today, big deal, right? Who cares? I'll do it on the weekend when I've got a minute. Like it doesn't matter in the broad scheme of things. What matters is that I'm fed, clothed, I have work, I feel positive, I've done something good for me today, whatever that is, um, even if it's just washing and styling, whatever, whatever it, whatever it is for you and uh, only sweat the, don't sweat the small stuff. I think someone wrote a book about that once. <laughs> There's also a book that I um, read last year, which I think is called Drop the Ball, you know, about it doesn't really matter that the, f the dishes aren't done or, you know, you can drop a few balls. It's about picking which ones to drop. Yeah, which are the important ones to hang on to, you know, and the other ones don't matter. Or you can let that all, if that's going to stress you, if you're the type of person that seeing the floor all dirty is going to stress you out, then take five minutes, sweep it and come back to what you're going to do because you're not longer thinking about it. You know, there's, there's those things. It, for example, I know for myself, if I've got dishes on the sink, uh, sink that are not washed, that does my head in, so I have to wash them. I know, it's weird, right? I've got bigger fish to fry, <laughs> but if I see those dishes on the sink, oh. <laughs> I'm not so worried about the dishes, but I like a made bed. You know, I like to get up, make the bed. I feel like I've achieved mm -hmm. something. You know, right. that's that's the thing. And, you know, my grandma said, uh, you know, whenever you move house, the first thing you should unpack and set up is the bed so if you get tired with everything else you've yep. always got you know you can go to bed and rest <laughs> so I always think that too everything could be crazy but I can yeah. go in my bedroom and it's the bed's made and it looks relaxing There's something that centers you whatever it is that centers you you know because sometimes thinking about a problem can actually chew up more energy than solving it just sort it out and then you don't have to think about it anymore well that's that's what I reckon anyway so what advice do you have for younger women that might want to follow in your footsteps into a senior leadership role? 
do the hard yards, have a can-do, enthusiastic attitude, use your initiative, let people know that that's your aspiration because if they don't know, they can't help you. Ask them for help. Ask them if they'll mentor you. How do, you know, what do I need to learn and improve on? Be honest. Tell me, frankly, I won't get offended. What parts of my personality or performance do I need to improve on to get closer towards my goal? And people will be happy to tell you if you put the disclaimer up, you're not going to get offended because some people have, sometimes even I am a bit worried about telling people, you know, what I think if they ask, you know, uh, because it's awkward. You know, but if they say, I'm not going to get offended, just tell me how you think it improve. Uh, you know, I could improve. Well, I did that to my bosses all the time, you know, when I was younger because I was constantly wanting to know that I was on the right path, that I was going to get there, that, you know, that they were happy with my work. You know, do you want it done this way? How else, how else would you like it presented? Can I present it to you in any other way? Um, what sort of information do you need? And then go away and think of a solution and then come back. And then they know that you've thought about it and that you've used some sort of, Initiative to streamline something or to save something or to improve something, you know. Um, but fundamentally, you've got to do what you love. Like, well, that's my life motto. Um, you will always have enough money to pay the bills. Pay the bills doing something you love if you can. And if you need to have the backup plan, or, or just to go back to make it look like it wasn't a complete fairy tale, when I started my business, I had three jobs. I got up at five, worked for two hours in a chicken factory doing the accounting. Then I did a day job. Then I worked at night from uh, seven to midnight. I did that for a whole year to get myself up and underway. You know, so they're the sacrifices. No one just waved a magic wand and go, bingo, here you go, you're now this. It was a journey, you know, a long one, you know, a good 35-year journey because <laughs> that's how long it's been. And I'm not done yet. That was my conversation with Maria Amato. Hearing Maria describing her mentors and the impact that they had on her throughout her life made me reach out to some younger women that I'd been informally coaching to see if they needed more support and if there was anything I could do for them. It really made me reflect on how significant these relationships can be. A recurring theme in this podcast has been the imposter syndrome. So many of us seem to battle internally with feeling underqualified or not worthy of our roles. So perhaps we're all feeling like we're not ready to be mentors but we can all pass on our learnings to others so if you can start mentoring there might be women out there that don't have the confidence to directly ask you to be their mentor so you can make the first move and support other women in the industry by asking them do you need any help You've been listening to Control with Chelsea Wilson, a podcast about women in the music industry. For more episodes, please subscribe and make sure you follow the Control Podcast on Instagram and check out controlpodcast.com for more info. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nations, produced and edited by Chelsea Wilson. I'll catch you next time.